Heading up, waiting to see if Maris is going to hit number 61. Here's the windup. The pitch to Roger, way outside ball line. Archiver, the A's in Kansas City, is made possible by a grant from the Missouri Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency, family of podcasts. The windup, the pitch, low ball two. That one was in the dirt. And the booze get louder. We start this episode in Yankee Stadium on October 1st, 1961. That's Phil Rizzuto on WCBS Radio. And Roger Maris is about to hit perhaps the most important home run in baseball history. Two balls, no strikes on Roger Maris. Here's the windup. Fastball hit deep to right. Way back there. Oh, While Yankee Stadium was delirious after Maris broke Babe Ruth's single-season home run record, you can't help but think that A's fans in Kansas City were lamenting over what could have been. Just a year earlier, you see, Roger Maris was a Kansas City A. Now you have a club in Kansas City who are basically the kissing cousins of the Yankees. And as everybody suspected over the course of the next five, six years, I think there's 29, 30 trades between these clubs where all of the good players are being groomed in Kansas City and sent to New York for either cash or really lopsided trades. And so you know, Roger Maris and all these other players come over uh, and they keep the dynasty going up through the early 60s. The Yankee dynasty would have ended in, in, in the mid to late 50s if it wasn't for the Kansas City A's. The podcast is Archiver, The A's in Kansas City, Episode 5, The Hapless A's and the Yankee Pipeline, me. I'm your host, Sam Zeff. In the 13 years the A's were in Kansas City, they were simply terrible. The highest they ever finished was sixth place, and that was in 1955, their first year in KC. The A's' worst year, 1964, when they lost 105 games. Not the worst team in big league history. The 62 Mets lost 120, a small consolation for a young A's fan such as myself. While in Kansas City, A's pitchers never threw a no-hitter, A's hitters, never batted for the cycle. How best to illustrate this? How about this clip from Monty Moore on KCMO Radio? It's October 4th, 1964, and he's describing what is surely one of the worst innings ever played in Major League Baseball. But then in the sixth inning, McCraw's speed once again came much into evidence and gave us the most unique play I've ever seen in baseball. At least I've never seen this one before. McCraw drill walk with the count 3-2. Diego cut loose a fastball, threw it over the catcher's head. Dave Duncan went back to the screen to chase it. McCraw went full speed from home plate to second base. Duncan threw into second trying to get him, but he threw the ball to center field. McCraw slid there. He got up, went over to third. Nelly Matthews picked the ball up. McCraw slid head first into third. Matthews threw that ball into the dugout, and McCraw, who had drawn a walk, scored on what amounted to a base on balls, a wild pitch, an error on the catcher and an error on the center fielder. The walk wild pitch and two errors put together <laughs> gave him a run. Then Buford hit a fly ball popped up in the center field and Nellie Matthews dropped it. Buford ended up at second. 
Floyd Robinson singled, Ward singled in a run, Bill Scourn hit a fielder's choice force out, then Ronnie Hansen was at the plate with one out, hit a pop fly ball up behind the plate, Dave Duncan, the rookie catcher, misjudged the win, and it dropped about a foot and a half behind him. And then on the next pitch, Ron Hansen hit a three-run homer, and that on the season for the A's, who lose here today, getting only two base hits, one by Campy and one by Stahl. So that's it. The final game of the season. Diego Segui, the losing pitcher. He's won eight and lost 17. Howard, the winner, going all the way for a shutout. His second win of his big league career. Good Lord, could you follow that? Airs, misjudge, pop-ups, just dopey baseball. Luckily, the finale for 64 was played in just one hour, 45 minutes, and only 6,232 saw it at Kaminsky Park, Chicago. But the A's didn't get this dismal without some help. And it all goes back to those New York Yankees and the unholy alliance between Yankee owners Del Webb and Dan Topping and their hand-picked A's owner, Arnold Johnson. The 1960 season came along. Roger Maris, still with the ball club, we had started making some deals with the New York Yankees. Hector Lopez, Bob Serve, <laughs> anybody that had any great ability, Vic Power, we moved them off to the New York Yankees. That's famed Kansas City sportscaster Bill Grigsby, who was part of the A's broadcast team from 1959 to 1963 when he left to join the Chiefs. Turns out that trade for Roger Maris, a little sleazier than most knew at the time. Arnold Johnson owed Del Webb some favors and some money from some construction deals they were in together. So he was sort of a hostage to Del Webb. And whenever Del needed a ball player who looked good, he'd pick up the phone, call the athletic office, and get a ball player. We became a farm club for the New York Yankees. Well, what happened? The Yankees wanted Roger Maris. Roger was in Cleveland, so Arnold Johnson made a deal with Cleveland to get Roger Maris in Kansas City. The Yankees couldn't get him, and Cleveland wasn't about to trade this great potential ball player to the New York Yankees. But what they didn't know, they did when they traded him to the Kansas City Athletic because Arnold Johnson sent Roger Maris to the New York Yankees. That's how he landed there. It was a deal that, was, that cooked up and made possible through the shenanigans of Arnold and Del Webb and uh, that's how Roger became a New York Yankee and hit his 61 home run. If the folks in Kansas City didn't know it was one of the most lopsided trades of all time, everyone else knew it after the deal was struck in December 1959. The New York Daily News called it a trade between the Yankees and their, quote, Kansas City cousins. The AP wrote that the two teams were old hands at swapping players. And Cleveland General Manager Frank Lane said the Maris deal was, in his words, morally wrong for baseball. It's very true. During the time of Arnold Johnson's ownership, which ended in March of 1960 upon his death, the Yankees and A's made 16 trades. That was over 55% of all trades the Yankees made. In the five years before Arnold Johnson's ownership and in the five years after, the Yankees made very few trades with A's ownership. That's A's historian, Bob Worthington. Almost every trade is to the Yankees' benefit, and there are various themes to these trades. At the beginning, the Yankees send a lot of washed-up players to Kansas City. Ewell Blackwell, Johnny Sane, Anus Slaughter all end up in Kansas City by way of the Yankees. The Slaughter trade is a problem because it is the first of a theme that you see in, in various trades where if the Yankees make a mistake, 
they can correct it. So Slaughter performed very poorly in New York. He was about 38 years old, goes to Kansas City where he was much loved from his Cardinals days and rejuvenates himself. He hits 320 his first year in Kansas City, is a fan favorite team MVP. The Yankees get him back for the waiver price. So you see uh, themes like that. The Slaughter trade is, is one example. Another player that went to New York was third baseman Cleet Boyer, who would also be part of that menacing Yankee machine of the early 60s. Now, not all of the Yankees who came over to Casey were dogs. Outfielders Norm Seaburn and Bob Serve would have very respectable careers. One of the best sports writers ever, Robert Creamer, tells a funny story about Serve in the Ken Burns baseball film. One day, Yankee skipper Casey Stingle sat down to next to Serve in the dugout. There's not many people that know this, Casey said, but one of us has been traded to Kansas City. Serve would go back to the Bronx and be there when Maris hit number 61. While the pipeline between 22nd and Brooklyn Avenue and Yankee Stadium exasperated most in organized baseball, it also caught the attention of the United States Senate. The close relationship between the A's and Yankees wasn't the only reason the Senate Antitrust and Monopoly Subcommittee called Major League Baseball before it on July 8, 1958, but it was a major factor. The panel was chaired by Democratic Senator Estes Kefauver from Tennessee, already famous for hauling mobsters before his committee in 1950 and 51. One of the first committee field hearings, by the way, was in Kansas City on November 30, 1950. Those hearings were tense, contentious, and made the Fifth Amendment famous. The hearing on baseball, not so much. There is now, uh, through the farm system, a major league control of the professional occupation of baseball playing. Is that a correct summary? Well, you have uh, that, uh, from the standpoint of what you've been reading, you've got that down very good. That Yankee manager Casey Stingle called Casey because he was born in Kansas City in 1890. Now, Casey could certainly win baseball games, but maybe wasn't the best person to testify about antitrust issues. If you've ever heard the term Stingleese, well, this is what they meant. I said, just like I uh, made a talk not long ago, and I told them all when they was drinking and they invited me in, I said, you ought to be home. You men are not making enough money. You can't drink like that. They said, this is a holiday for the Shell Oil Company. And I said, why is it a holiday? They said, we did something great for three years, and we are given two days off for the, to watch the Yankees play the White Sox. But they were mostly White Sox rooters. I said, well, you're not doing right. I said, you can't take those drinks and all, even on your holidays. You ought to be home and raising more children because the big league clubs now give you 100000 for a bonus. Go into baseball. And by the way, I don't happen to have any children, but I wish Mr. Stengel and I had eight. I'd like to put them in on that bonus rule. <laughs> Nothing, as you might imagine, came of those hearings. After the Senate hearing, Casey and the Yanks finished third in 1959, but won the American League in 1960, largely because of the Roger Maris trade with the A's. But that pipeline that so benefited the Yankees suddenly and unexpectedly dried up on March 3, 1960. That's when A's owner Arnold Johnson died from a cerebral hemorrhage after watching a spring training game in West Palm Beach. 
The A's were then bought by a man who dreamed of orange baseballs, white shoes, and a mule named Charlie O. Of all the crazy things Charlie did, and, you know, you talk about riding the mule, Charlie used to, I don't think he ever watched the games when he was at the Kansas City, and he'd ride that mule around all over the streets. And he'd open, the fences would open, and you could ride out onto the field. It was that easy. And he would ride kids out on the field and back. And, and one time he did it, and it was like the third inning. He didn't even know the game had started. So he's out there riding around on the field with kids on the back of the mule. But that was Charlie, uh, the brilliance and the insanity all wrapped into one. Charles O. Finley was one of the craziest owners in all of professional sports. So he gets the next two episodes of Archiver, The A's in Kansas City. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodap and Linda Haskins in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible with a grant from the Missouri Humanities Council. Archiver is produced with Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer, and with the Center for Midwestern Studies, where Diane Moody Burke is director. My thanks to Jeff Logan and Mitch Nathanson for sharing their thoughts. There's some cool pics at our website, fountaincityfrequency.com, and make sure to subscribe to Archiver on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver. Archiver.